as we uh, continue in this season of Easter, which uh, despite the marketing in the shops, actually commences with Easter and continues now until Ascension. Our lectionary readings have been taking us through this uh, significant second chapter of Acts, and in particular of uh, Peter's sermon that's reflected in Acts chapter 2. In a few weeks' time, we'll come to Pentecost, but our reading just puts these readings in context. I would suggest that the sermon that we find in the second chapter of Acts, Peter's sermon, is one of the most significant sermons in history and has had an underestimated impact on the whole nature and direction of world history. It is significant not because of the powers of eloquence or the oratory of Peter. Great speeches often do move people in a powerful way. But it is significant because of the message. And we're going to spend some time reflecting on that message this morning. Now, I'm uh, very tempted to market St. Matt's as the church of retro worship of the 1970s and 80s because there was, there was so much good worship music in the 1970s and 80s that has been lost. could be quite a marketing thing. works for radio stations. So, When uh, Fiona and I were um, young adults, even when I was a teenager initially, um, there was a, a Christian music group called the Second Chapter of Acts, focusing on just how profound this chapter actually is. And as I was looking about some of their, their music yesterday, I came across their Easter song. Now, the Easter song is probably more familiar to some people by Keith Green, who would sing it. Um, so those of you who know the Christian uh, musician Keith Green would know his repertoire, would know the Easter song. But actually, the second chapter of Acts, um, the, one of the singers wrote it. They are two sisters and a brother. Hence, they look remarkably alike um, and their voices tuned together. Why I like it, and I've chosen to actually play the track now at this stage, is it isn't just the words are wonderful, and they are, it's because the vibe of the thing. There's a power, there's a joy, there is, this is amazing news. And this is what feeds into the energy that Peter had. What we see is a transformation from a a group of followers in despair, in horror, observing the events of Jesus' betrayal and uh, the injustice and the conspiracies and the violence and the awfulness that Jesus experienced, who went to the shadows into locked rooms, fearful that they would be also drawn into it and arrested. Something happened to totally change that movement into a boldness and a courage and an excitement that they themselves had experienced. And of course, that is the big game changer. God raised him from the dead. Jesus is risen. So enjoy this song because of the words and of the vibe of the thing. Now, Paul Chester doesn't know this yet, but I announced at the 8.30 service this morning 
I'm so taken by this song, I'm going to commission Paul to get the music team at St Matthew's to do a version of it and hopefully record it as well because it is so wonderful. It's a great song, isn't it? Not sure I'm up for those high notes, but the challenge is out there for those who can add that to our voice, our repertoire. So add the Holy Spirit to that on the day of Pentecost, an amazing transformation occurred from this Christian community, from the shuttered, bolted doors of a private room to standing before all of Jerusalem observing this amazing growth of our community. And people were watching on and saying, what is going on? And Peter says, listen up, let me tell you what's going on. And it's all about this person of Jesus. And so Peter's sermon begins to provide a public testimony going beyond what on earth was happening upon the cross. What was God doing to an assurance that this is absolutely part of God's mission and purpose. This is part of God's plan, hasn't been set aside. This was the pathway that was necessary for this work of redemption and salvation. 
bit more about that in a minute. But then Peter says that with the coming of the Spirit, we're taken into a whole new age. And it is an age of hope. It is an age where all is on a pathway where things will be made right. So as Peter spoke, so the church began to find its voice. And the message of Peter that was delivered to Jerusalem at that time, and we're told at the end, over 3,000 people listening in said yes, and were baptised, and the beginnings of this Christian movement. They didn't all stay in Jerusalem. When the persecution came, that group of 3,000 was scattered, and they took the gospel with them. Peter starts with a narrative around Jesus. We saw last week that he said that this was anticipated in, through the words of David, even beyond David's own imagining, that a Lord would come who would be a greater Lord than David and he will never end in the grave. He said this, Peter says, was talking about Jesus. The one who God had promised has now come into our midst. When people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Why were they cut to the heart? Because Peter said, despite the fact that it was part of God's plan, the mission of God required this, those who were responsible for the death of Jesus carry that responsibility. Whether it was the religious leaders who conspired and consulted together, whether it was Pilate who was so fearful of a report going back to, to Rome saying he was no friend of Caesar, that he just caved in to the pressure. Whether it was Judas who betrayed him as through a kiss, or Peter who betrayed him by disowning him. Actually, it is all of us. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane that we reflected on on the Maundy Thursday in the evening, Jesus, the word was used, agonized in his prayer. And knowing what lay ahead, said to the Father, Father, if there is any other way, may it be another way. Yet there was no other way. Why? Because God could not just work from a distance and wave a wand as some description. Someone was needed to represent all humanity in our failure, our offensiveness, our rebellion against God. We all contribute to the necessity of Jesus being upon the cross. It is for our sins, our wrongdoing and the breaching of our relationship with God, the creator God, by our determination to do our own thing, that it was necessary. As the crowd heard Peter cut to the heart, I don't know about you, but I don't need any convincing that I'm also cultable. I can't say, yes, that was them. Thank goodness it wasn't me. For we all are in that space that has required this work of salvation, of redemption, that Jesus took upon himself. 
the power of the work that Jesus did was that he didn't push back. He didn't have a game of power play. He could have called down a heavenly host of the army and have just slayed those who were were complicit and the soldiers and others. The power of Jesus was unlike any others in absorbing it into himself. That's what's called the the passive work of Christ on the cross. Not passive in a sense of it's indifferent, but because it didn't retaliate. And so the broken, bruised, bloodied Jesus was laid in the tomb, dead. And the message that we reflected on last week, it wasn't that Jesus suddenly twitched and flicked it off and said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a superman, I can brush it off. The text says, importantly, God raised Jesus from the dead. God was in Christ through this work. The God of creation, the God who has been working from Abraham and through the people of Israel and now gathers further afield, has been at work in Jesus and raised him from the dead. And that truth is now settling in upon Peter and the others in their message So what shall we do? One of the great verses that summarises the nature of a Christian belief. What do we all need to do? Peter said to them the same words that Jesus said. Repent and be baptised. Baptism is a sign of the repentance. To repent literally means to view things differently to see things differently, to see that I'm on the wrong pathway, I'm on the wrong direction and I need to stop where I'm going, change direction. And wherever that direction takes me, it is following now Jesus. If I keep on going where I'm going, it'll end in tears. It'll end in grief. It will be a dead end. So of course, once we see that, we want to change. And that is the promise that is made in baptism. I turn to Christ. I repent of my sins. I'm changing direction. It is his life, his pathway that I'll now follow. But baptism, as we'll see in a few moments, starts with God. It is his promise that we receive and we get allowed to wash over us, to give us this new life, to give us this cleansing, this restoration. So Peter continues, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that it is dealt with, done, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, this is what you're seeing happen before you. Come and join us. The words that follow are theologically rich, but personally, absolutely precious. For the promise, this promise that the full benefits of the work of Jesus upon the cross and in his resurrection and the receiving of the Holy Spirit, this promise God offers is to you, without exception, and to your children and to all who are afar off, 
Initially, I think this means geographically. Peter is speaking in Jerusalem. The task, the work of the Spirit will enable the church to go beyond Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It is a geographical movement out and the promise is to be made available to everyone across that area. This promise is both incredibly personal and profoundly global in its reach. Let me start with the first one, the personal one. The promise is to you and to your children. I remember in a theological college having discussions, debating about infant baptism. And this is one of the key verses that we talk about. The, the, uh, the summary is repent and be baptised. The promise then is to you and to your children. It is God's promise that is available to us. And that is why in the Anglican Church, alongside many other mainstream churches, we baptise infants. Age is no barrier to receiving that promise. It can be, it is given to the family as a, in the grace of God and the growth of a child is into that promise. They grow into that promise in their reality. That was a good theological debate and it was quite a um, uh, you know, talking point and I have friends who I respect view it differently and believe a baptism that the Baptists and others practice. I understand that. It became something more than an academic debate when I became a, a parent with our three children and anxiety as to whether the ability to receive that promise was dependent on cognitive ability and to realise that at that stage the vulnerability in our family. Suddenly this became a very personal assurance where God says to us in our family, nothing prevents this promise. And it was a delight when Jonathan was confirmed here at St Matthew's. He grew into that promise, having received it as a child. And he responded, I turn to Christ. I love God. This is an incredibly significant promise to us. There is no barrier and it starts with God's offer and we all are able to grow into that regardless and it is to all who are far off. This past week I've been reading a, a challenging book, challenging reading and challenging in terms of the content. It's called On Decolonialism. Decolonialism is a significant movement that says that in the modern world in terms of the last couple hundred years, the impact of empires reaching out and colonising throughout the world has made an enormous impact on other peoples. One of the writers comes out of South America, although she doesn't actually come from there, but she says the sheer language of the Spanish conquest, it names it, it's a conquest, that has had an impact on people and languages and cultural battles and that whole Eurocentrism that we still struggle with in our world that has prevailed and has shaped and has claimed a space. 
there are things we need to hear about it and it is obviously very true in our own context in Australia and the discussions about the voice and our relationship with Indigenous people. And personally, there's a lot that I have heard and I want to continue to hear that needs to be heard in that space. And there's some discussions that we'll have about that in due course, no doubt. But my point is, I cannot think of any movement in history that has been able to rise above the ethnic battles, the tribalism, the nation against nation, people against people, culture against culture, language against language, that is rife in our world. Those differences are causing fear and anxiety and separation and discussion around borders and all the things that go around it. Now, I know that there's significant responsibilities, but can we get beyond those conflicts that go from one generation to the next and just get into cycles of retaliation and threat? I cannot think of a single movement that has been able to enter and to gather together and has the potential to honour each and every culture and language and people into something that can be known as the people of God. The church is present throughout the world. There's a whole variety of cultures in which gives expression to it and languages and peoples and thank God for that. This speech of Peter talks about a movement that started with a flame in the resurrection of Jesus, initially in a tomb where no one was present. And then it was glimpsed as Jesus appeared to his followers in those days afterwards. And I would suggest that in this time of Pentecost and the Sermon of Peter, that flame ignited into a movement. 3,000 people believed and were baptised. And so that movement continues and we identify with it. It is the same promise that we have heard and received. We may have received it from our parents. We may have heard it from others from all different directions. The generations who have come before us at St. Matthew's and we pray will come after at St. Matthew's will gather in no other name than the name of Jesus and through the, the agency of the Holy Spirit. This is a powerful moment that we sit within and we haven't finished yet. Next week we go into to see the nature of the gathering, the community and the transformation it brought and the life and the goodness that emerged from it that we also are invited to enter in. But for now let's just thank God that this is at work that God's purpose, God's mission is as powerful as ever. And we can be in no doubt, whether it's our own personal struggles and the thoughts, I don't deserve it, I don't think I can place myself in God, saying the promise is to you. And at the same moment, as we hear the news, as we hear a lot of the rhetoric and the culture wars and all the things that are going on, that we can say, yes, but we can rise above that.
Our hope is greater than that. And may it be in God's grace and through the Spirit that we in our own space model that and grow ever more into it. Amen.